This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Catherine Price. She is the author of the previous book, How to Break Up with Your Phone, which we get into a little bit in this conversation, but also we're going to talk about her brand new book, The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. We talk about the definition of fun, what it is and what it isn't. How do people usually define fun, but what is the real definition of fun? How to tap into making things fun or using playfulness and connection and flow to not just get more done, but to enjoy the doing of the getting done of things, if that's even a phrase that makes sense. I think it does. I like to not just do the things and have them be done, though I know often getting the thing done, even if it's not enjoyable, is worth doing. But moreover than that, I like enjoying getting the thing done. And I don't just mean the checking off of the thing. I mean the process. I mean the actual execution, the enjoyment of it. So that is what we're tapping into in this conversation and talking about her brand new book. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. In fact, you may even have fun. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Catherine Price. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Catherine Price. Catherine, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited because, honestly, a couple years ago, it was post- book launch time for your previous book that I found out about it. I'm sure I have a note somewhere in a a deep list of possible guests and just never reached out. And that's on me. But of course, I was probably spending too much time on my phone. But that's because, you know, that was the point of your book, How to Break Up With Your Phone, which one is a great title. And two, what was that? 2018, I think. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. So that was still at that early stage of people are starting to talk about phones and our constant connection with them. And before we get into the new book, which is called, I'll just read it here. I'm holding it. I love physical books. That's one of the ways to get rid of your phone or to use your phone less. It's called The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. And that is also a great title and a lot to dive into. But before we get into fun, I want to talk about a little bit in terms of this breaking up with your phone. What you do in that book is you say a few things that I think tie right into this new book, especially one of the reasons as to why we're so hooked on our phones and can't stop doing stuff with them is because we justify it. We say that it's fun, but it's not true fun. It's just enjoyment or fake fun. So what's your definition of fun? I want to clarify the terms right up front because one of the things that you know somebody picking up this book would say is, oh, fun. That looks interesting. I'm not sure I understand. 
So, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, so to take a step back for a second, so my two books are directly related. I wrote How to Break Over Your Phone, as you were saying, leading up to 2018 when it came out. And then I realized, well, here's the thing, that that book's all about how to create better boundaries with our devices and how to just stop wasting so much time on screens so that we can refocus our attention on what really matters. But what I came to realize is that the next step in that process is to figure out what you want to spend your attention on. And I had this moment myself where it was interesting when there, you know, when you actually do have like an aha moment or a crisis that leads to an aha moment. <laughs> and I was sitting in this very room sometime in, must have been 2017-ish. And I was taking a break from all of my devices with my husband for 24 hours, which is a practice I really encourage listeners to try for themselves. It's really interesting. And he was out of the house and our daughter, who was a baby at that point, was napping. And I just had this whole hour and I could do whatever I wanted to with it. And that really should have been an exciting moment. <laughs> As anyone who's been a parent knows, like, wow, freedom, you've got freedom. But I couldn't think of anything that I wanted to do. And that made me conclude that I was waiting for dinner because it was like 2 p.m. at this point. I thought, I can't think of anything I want to do because I've gotten so used to having my phone fill my time that when I take away my phone, I don't know how I want to fill it. So I was like, I'm waiting for dinner. And then I quickly catastrophized and was like, that really means I'm waiting to die, which is (laughs) not a good feeling. And I was like, I don't want to live my life that way. I need to figure out what I want to do. And that launched the journey that led to this new book, The Power of Fun. So to answer your question, what is fun? One thing that I came to conclude quickly when I was looking into this was we don't really have a good definition of fun. If you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to find things like lighthearted pleasure or, you know, enjoyment, which I think is true. But what I realized for myself is that when I was truly having fun, there was something much bigger going on. So to back up again, when I had that freak out moment on the couch, I was trying to just figure out, well, okay, what do I want to do with my time? And I ended up asking myself this question that I had posed to people when I was researching how to break up with your phone, which I had somehow never asked myself. And the question was, what's something you say you want to do, but you supposedly don't have time for? And my answer in that moment was that I wanted to learn to play guitar because I had a guitar I've played piano since I was a kid. My grandma gave me money for this guitar. It was really close to her. I'd always meant to play it, but I I didn't. And so the next day when I was back online, I signed up for an adult music class at this. Actually, it was a kid's music studio, but they were adult programs. And I started taking these guitar classes. And when I was in these classes, I felt this sense of buoyancy and energy and freedom that was really striking. And that made me feel wonderful in the moment, but it also kept me energized for days afterward. There was something very powerful about it, surprisingly so. And when I tried to figure out, well, what is this feeling that I'm experiencing? I'm a writer, so like what word describes this? Fun was the word that came to mind, but that did not match lighthearted pleasure or just enjoyment. It was deeper. So I realized, well, I need to come up with a proposed definition myself, and then I need to test that with other people to see if it's just Catherine being overly dramatic (laughs) and making something bigger out of this guitar class than it actually is. So anyway, all that is to say the proposed definition that I came up with that I did check with thousands of people, and they have affirmed that it describes their experiences as well, is that fun or true fun, as I call it, is the confluence of three psychological states. And those states are playfulness, connection, and flow. And I can go into more detail about those if you want. But when all three of those things are present, the center of that Venn diagram is what I think of as true fun. And those are the moments in which we feel the most alive. I definitely want to dive into all three of those. But I want to take a quick step back and say, obviously, you had to define fun for yourself and for the book. 
I wonder if the symptom here, or, or actually it's a symptom of a much deeper problem, we don't have an agreed upon definition of fun. There's a lack of a definition or an incorrect definition. I'm sure that you probably came up against some of those incorrect definitions. What are some of the common incorrect definitions of fun? Well, yeah, you're hitting on an important point, which is that the fact that we don't have a precise agreed upon definition of fun leaves us vulnerable to any company or person who wants to try to sell us their product or service as fun. We will accept that without questioning. But if you actually think about it, many of those things aren't fun. Even if you don't have a precise definition, if you really reflect on how you feel after you spend an hour scrolling through social media, you probably are not going to say, damn, that was fun. That was just so much fun. That's why I came up with this term fake fun, which you were alluding to earlier with the difference between true fun and fake fun, where true fun is this energizing, life-affirming, joyful state that nourishes us and reignites our internal flames. Fake fun, in contrast, are things that are marketed to us as fun, but that ultimately leave us feeling dead or empty inside. And I think it's really important to tease out the difference between those two types of fun, one of which is real and one of which is not, because it becomes a lot easier to eliminate the sources of fake fun and to not be manipulated if you're able to give it a name. Fake fun goes especially back to one of the major perceived benefits of your phone or your devices is this, well, you get to connect with family, you get to check in on people, you can see things, you can look things up, you can communicate, you can stay connected, as as all the advertisements say. And to a point, those things all have benefits to them and can be connected to the three words that you use, the playfulness, connection, and flow. But more often than not, because we haven't claimed or, or I should say intentionally decided to use those things, we've habitually passively used those things, something that would have been maybe part of fun or an aspect of fun and and definitely enjoyful. Sorry, enjoyful is not a word. Uh, <laughs> I like it, though. But it, it should be <laughs> something that is enjoyable and something to have fun, not your definition, but something that we would naturally call fun is now not because it's not what we planned on doing in that moment in or, or it, it was, but then we took so long with it and we're just, you know, we're endless scrolling. Yeah, we end up cheapening the word by using it for things that it doesn't really apply to. And I think that's really important, as you're saying, when it comes to connection, because that is another thing where I think we all. Well, I don't know. I know we haven't really thought what does connection mean. But if you think about what it feels like when you're truly connected with someone or you have a special shared experience with someone. And then you contrast that to how you feel reading through comments, you know, on social media or I don't know, even te text messages are real people that, you know, so I think that that's somewhat different, but it does feel different to do that versus actually get to see each other. And I think we've all really had a chance to internalize that over the past year and a half when our opportunities for real in life social interaction have been so limited. But I think it's very important to think about the different types of connection, both with and without quotes that you engage in in your everyday life and then identify which ones feel really good. And then which ones actually don't leave you feeling connected at all? They actually leave you feeling further apart or angry or that polarize us rather than connect us. We do not need any more of that, people. Like we need the stuff that brings out our shared humanity and makes us feel closer to people. That's what we need. So I think, again, that if we put more attention into thinking about these words, it actually can have a very big impact on our experience of our lives.
Definitely. And so speaking of those words, let's dive into the definitions or, you know, the confluence of playfulness, connection, and flow. And I think of those three words, we've only ever talked about flow on this show before. So I'm curious what your perspective is here. Sure. Well, we can start with flow if people are familiar with it, but that's the psychological state in which you're so engrossed in your present experience that you actually lose track of time. And so the most common example that people give for that is an athlete in the midst of a game, but you can also experience it in any sort of everyday experience. Like right now I'm in flow because I'm totally focused on what we're saying and I am totally present. It's very different from what's known as junk flow, which is an important distinction, similar to how there's fake fun and true fun. Mm -hmm. Real flow is a very active and engaged state. Junk flow is the hypnotized state we get into when we're passively consuming content. That is not the real thing. So yes, time flies when you watch Netflix, but that's not the flow that we're talking about. Then in terms of playfulness, a lot of adults like clench up if you say playfulness, we, we should be more playful because I think that we think of it as childish or it just makes us uncomfortable because we're so out of practice with that concept. So I like to emphasize that I'm not talking about playing make-believe or even playing a game at all. I'm talking about the spirit of playfulness, where you just have a lighthearted attitude and you're not overly wrapped up in outcomes. Because as adults, we're so goal-driven. You know, if you look at the best-selling books, they're all about productivity and maximizing our time. There's an outcome that we're trying to achieve. We very rarely just do things for the sake of doing them for the pleasure alone. So that's what I'm talking about, letting go of this pressure to be perfect and just finding the humor in everyday life, changing our attitude. And then connection, as we were just talking about, means feeling truly connected with other people or in some cases with another creature. A lot of people refer to dogs. I should back up for a second and say the way I researched this book once I came up with this hypothetical or I guess proposed definition that I had for fun was I asked people from my Screen Life Balance newsletter to help me with my ideas and to share three anecdotes from their own lives, actually four anecdotes from their own lives that they would describe as having truly been fun. And the reason I did that is I wanted to see, as I was saying before, if it was just me, Catherine, thinking this was a profound experience or if other people did as well. Well, spoiler alert, people definitely were tapping into the same energy. Whenever I read these anecdotes, I actually, I have this big smile on my face, but I also am often moved almost to tears because there's something very powerful about them. Anyway, as part of that, I asked people before I proposed my definition, did anything surprise you about what you just told me? And a lot of people wrote that they were surprised that they were self-proclaimed introverts, but yet all of the examples that they had just told me involved other people. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. I also asked people to identify, like I gave them a list of descriptors and I asked people to check whichever ones applied best to what they just told me. And two of the biggest ones were laughter and then a special shared experience with someone. Which led me to conclude that while you can feel connected to your own body or to your environment or to the activity at hand, like that can in some cases be sufficient for connection. Vast majority of cases when we're having true fun, another person or again, potentially a dog, sometimes a cat, something alive is involved. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So my thought here is, number one, with flow, I'm glad that you differentiated because I kept thinking, oh, when you get so engrossed in something that time flies, for example, I, I go back to scrolling on the phone. You know, if you didn't intentionally say, oh, I'm going to spend a full hour doing this and you meant to say five minutes or even 10, 15 minutes, and then suddenly you find that it's gone by for an hour that that's not necessarily flow. That's what was the term you used? It was um, junk flow. Junk so flow. She sent me hi, the psychologist who coined that term. He himself referred to that as a as junk flow. 
And you can tell because you could just, you know, check in with yourself and see how you feel. If you're feeling kind of hollow, vacant, empty and dead, then you probably were in junk flow. And that's really hypnosis, you know, getting into a trance. You're mesmerized. But if you feel alive and energetic and nourished, that's real flow. Yeah. And that is kind of the point in other conversations I've had with, you know, putting up boundaries in terms of all the devices and even the televisions and you know, basically screens in general, that it comes down to claiming your time intentionally and setting up a specific, like setting up a timer, saying something along the lines of, and I won't say it, but hey, voice device, set a timer <laughs> for such and such amount of time. And then at least that's something that if you start to slip into passive scrolling, it is an exterior signal. Oh, okay. I'm supposed to be done now. Yeah. I mean, one of the suggestions I give in actually both books and how to break with your phone and in the power of fun is this exercise I came up with called WWW, which is short for what for, why now, and what else that I encourage people to do when they find themselves picking up their phones. So first I recommend that people like put in a, a rubber band or a hair tire on their phone so that when you pick it up on autopilot, which we all do countless times a day, you encounter this physical impediment and this part of your brain that's like, why the heck is there a rubber band around my phone? And that gives you a chance to then remember to do this exercise. Because again, I mean, we could talk more about this, but we are so, our brains are so conditioned to reach for our phones without us thinking about it. That can be very hard to even notice you've picked up your phone before 30 minutes have passed. So once you do, you can do this exercise, which is meant to help people become more intentional about their phone use. Because I should say, like, I'm not anti-technology and geez, during the pandemic, like, would any of us want to have gone through what we've gone through without an internet connection? I don't think so. But we would need to be intentional and in control. So you ask yourself, well, what for? You know, what did you just pick up your phone to do? What was your purpose? Did you actually have a purpose. <laughs> In many cases, you realize you didn't, but maybe you did. Maybe it was to look something up or send an email or buy something. Then ask yourself, well, why now? Why in this particular moment did you pick up your phone to do that thing? Did you actually have a time-sensitive reason or did you have an emotional reason? And that's the most common. There's probably an emotional driver. You felt bored for a moment and you wanted a distraction or you're tired of what you're doing at work and you wanted to quote unquote break. Although honestly, whatever you do on your phone is probably not going to feel like a break because it's the same area of your brain. Or maybe you feel lonely and you want that sense of connection and you haven't yet thought deeply about what connection means and whether or not you'll get it from your phone. So if you figure out your emotional reason, then you move on to the final step, which is what else? What else could you do in that moment to achieve the same result? Or what else could you just do entirely, something entirely different? You know, but so if you're feeling lonely and you want a connection, maybe instead of going on social media, you could use your phone to call a friend. And have a brief phone conversation. If you want a distraction, maybe you could go for a walk for a couple of minutes instead of just looking at the news, which let's be honest, is probably just going to make you more anxious yeah. and scared than you were before. And maybe you'll decide you don't want to do anything, which is a nice option, too, to give your mind some blank space, which is so important. And then maybe you'll go through all these steps and you'll conclude, you know what, I actually really do want to be on my phone right now. And that is completely fine. Like that is great if you figure that out, because then you know that you're on your phone because it was a conscious choice that you made as opposed to an algorithm manipulating you into wasting your time and attention for someone else's benefit. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It seems to me that it's it's really all about intentional use of our time. Yes. And our attention, for that matter, and paying attention to our intention as well. It's kind of all folds <laughs> in on itself, right? Paying attention to your intention and your attention. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, like our attention is our most valuable resource. It's more valuable than money because you can get money back if you spend it. But you can't get attention back. And it's even more valuable than time. Because if you think about it, you can spend time with someone and it's meaningless if you're not also paying attention to them. Doesn't matter if I'm in a room with you and I'm on my phone and you're just sitting there. We are not actually connecting. That is not a real connection. Our attention is the most valuable thing. And my biggest conclusion I came away with personally from how to break up with your phone is that our lives are fundamentally what we pay attention to. You're only going to remember what you pay attention to and you're only going to experience what you pay attention to. And that means every time we make a decision in the moment about how to spend our attention, making a broader decision about how we spend our lives. So we need to be careful about it. So if we are thinking about how to apply these three words that make up the definition of fun, playfulness, connection, and flow, 
that's almost like trying to walk around with a perspective of fun or a mindset of fun. How do we start to adopt that? One might even say a fun mindset. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I did an adapted version of Carol Dweck's growth mindset. One of the suggestions in the book is to have a fun mindset. I should say that my goal in the book was, well, first of all, to identify what fun actually is and make the case for it. So the first half of the book does just that. It goes into this proposed definition and then talks about the benefits, the health benefits of prioritizing fun, makes the case for fun. But I wanted to really help people take this nebulous concept of fun and make it into something that was actionable that they actually could have more of because it's great to talk about it. It's like talking about happiness. Everyone wants to be happier, but you know, how do you actually do that? So one of the things I suggest is that we just become more practiced at opening ourselves up to opportunities for playfulness and connection and flow that already exist or that we can create. So right now we spend so much of our attention on things that cause us anxiety, which makes sense because those are the things that are clamoring for our attention. And our brains have evolved to really tune into those things because any perceived threat could be a real threat. And you obviously need to respond to threats really quickly if you want to physically survive. But that's really exhausting and actually not good for us physically. So I argue that it's essential that we also learn to train our attention on the positive. And one way to do that is just notice moments in your day where you have a bit of lightheartedness or you could insert a bit of lightheartedness, you know, make a joke with someone or share a smile, like actually create opportunities for real connection. And it doesn't need to be huge or profound, even just catching the eye of someone above their mask and and smiling and, you know, seeing in their eyes that they're smiling. That's a moment of connection. Notice that because the more we notice and call out these moments, the more we actually appreciate and benefit from them. And one way I always recommend that people do this is to adopt what I call a delight practice. And this was directly inspired by this poet named Ross Gay, who wrote a book called, appropriately enough, The Book of Delights for which he wrote an essay every day for a year about something that delighted him, which is just a delightful, although somewhat intimidating prospect. And um, what he proposes in that book is that you just notice things in your everyday life that delight you. And when you do, you put a finger in the air and you say out loud, delight. Like, really? you Like, out loud. (laughs) Eureka. Eureka. Yeah, exactly. Delight. I mean, if you think of it, it's just so funny because if you think about the opposite, what we essentially do normally in our lives is being like anxiety, despair, you know. (laughs) But anyway, so a friend of mine and I started our own delight practice and I noticed it brought us closer and it also was perhaps unsurprisingly, delightful. And so I then proposed this to my newsletter list. And I was like, well, let's all try this delight practice and share them with each other. And if you've got, you know, friends that would be into this, start a delight text chain with them. I actually think it's a wonderful use of our phones. And I did that myself. I've got a delight text chain going with some friends who live across the country whom I haven't seen now in a couple of years. And every once in a while, you just get this random message that pops up that's like delight. And it has this delightful thing. Anyway, I think that that's a It's a way to kind of internalize this playful, connected flow idea into and make it a bit more tangible to just notice things that delight you. And one thing Ross Gay points out in his book is that once you start doing this, once you tune into delight, you will start to notice more and more delights begin to present themselves to you. And likely they were there all along. We just haven't paid attention to them. Yeah, it's a, it's a momentum that once it gets going, it's it's the domino effect. It starts to fall. It's like when you suddenly say, "Ooh, I'm interested in maybe buying this car," and then you suddenly see that car everywhere. Exactly. You're like, "Wait a second. You know, and, and I think it also um, speaks to something that people sometimes push back about, like, "Oh, well, you don't have time for fun, or there's too many hard things in your life to prioritize fun." And I think there's cases where that is true. I mean, I'm not arguing. If you're like struggling to get food on the table and you're, you know, really in a crisis mode 
deal with that crisis. But, but I will say, like, I recently, just the other day, had a conversation with a friend whose dad had a stroke and he's paralyzed on the left side of his body. She's really sad about it, obviously, and her mom is having a rough time. And two things she told me really stood out. One is that she said she and her mother have started a delight practice with each other and they've been sending each other delights and sharing delights. And she was talking about how much more connected she felt with her mom and how wonderful and lovely of an experience it has been to have this way to positively connect with each other during a time when they're both going through such an emotionally difficult experience. And then she was also talking about, you know, just helping her dad eat and and having a thing where he, he doesn't have control over the left side of his body and he just kind of dribbled food out of his mouth. And, you know, I think there are situations where that could have been brushed away with a platitude or they could have acted like it didn't happen. And she said instead, her father and she made eye contact and just both cracked up. And they just started laughing because they had this kind of more fun mindset towards it where it's horrible. It was a horrible moment, but they were able to create and experience this connection by acknowledging the absurdity of it and laughing at it. And I thought that was really beautiful. Oh, man, that really brings to mind a a memory, a very good memory that I have of my grandfather. We were sitting all at the dining room table at his house with my grandmother, and he was in late stages of Alzheimer's. And it it was sad because he was a research scientist and he was so freaking smart and it just was starting to go and completely almost gone in a lot of ways and prior to him being put in a home to be taken care of we had some family lunches meetings so we're eating corn on the cob and he starts to spoon out some chili from something and just starts covering his corn on the cob and then picks it up and starts eating it And I look back at this fondly. I mean, it was a sign he wasn't all there, but that was not the point. The point was, Mm -hmm. it was funny. He would have thought it was funny and kind of absurd. And all of us there at the table, my grandmother, my mom, and I don't know who else was sitting there, but we all started to just look at each other and look at what he was doing and smile and just acknowledge that it was almost something in character with what he would have done anyway, just as a joke. And so it was something positive and absurd. And that's kind of where I go when I I think of the word playful, not as a, oh, we all have to play a game. No, it's the way that you engage with the up and down of life. Totally. I mean, you can't see me right now, but I'm nodding along and getting a little bit teary. You know, it's it's true. And in that moment, Obviously, you would have preferred it if you didn't have Alzheimer's and wasn't, you know, that he was with it. But the fact that you guys connected over it, you know, and you and you smiled over it. And that's just I think that really speaks to how powerful fun can be. And and it's strange. I mean, I think the semantics of it are so interesting because it's like, oh, you're playful about your grandfather who's got Alzheimer's with chili on his corn, you know, but that speaks to how we kind of misinterpret playfulness. That it really is the attitude. And we can bring that to the worst situations. And yeah. that sometimes that's really important for maintaining our sanity, yeah. you know, and it yeah. brings us closer together. I just can't stress that enough, like shared humanity. It brings you closer because you could have totally ignored that and just acted like nothing happened. And then everyone would have felt a little bit lonelier, you know, like, oh, I saw that. I don't know. There's such a difference. I'm just I'm just at a stage in my life where I'm so sick of platitudes. Mm. <laughs> no more platitudes. I want real connection and I want to be like human with other people. Yeah. No more BS. And I just love that about that story. Yeah. Well, so speaking of shared human experience and even a time when we're all kind of going through something and have been for a while and still kind of are really interesting time to choose to write a book about fun. And especially when we're all 
not having fun, but also really diving into the junk flow of things. <laughs> what was that process like in terms of, and I definitely want to talk a little bit more about what are the benefits of fun? And then that kind of ties in because we all need it now. Oh no, I'm going to say this. Shoot. I never want to say this on my show, but I'm going to say it anyway. Now more than ever. We, we now more than ever need fun. But like, And I hate that line, but like, it's kind of true. We do almost need to pay attention in this moment more than we have in the past. Yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, that would have sounded like a cliche in 2019. But now it's like, no, guys, like we really do need it more than ever. Yes, <laughs> it's it's, it may be trite, but it is true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I I signed the book contract in April 2020, which, as everyone on Earth might recall, was kind of a rough month (laughs) for humanity. So that was interesting. So I'd been thinking about this before the pandemic, because as I was saying, I was kind of launched on this process. And sometime in 2017, when I signed up for that guitar class, but I did all my editor meetings over Zoom. I remember it was my editor's first meeting with an author that she did over Zoom instead of in person. So that's a milestone I wish I didn't represent, but I was. And then my husband and I essentially moved in with my parents who live in rural New Jersey because we've got a kid and she was remote and they helped us with childcare. But it was very like that was our pod. And, you know, all of our opportunities for connection were were very limited. So a couple of things on that. One is that, yeah, one of the challenges of writing a book about fun during a global pandemic was that the more research I did, the more I came to realize that connection is essential for us, not just for our emotional health, but our physical health, too, which I can talk more about. But that was a time and continues to be a time where it is, you know, I almost like not more than ever, maybe in a historical sense, but I think in most of our lifetimes, unless people are super old and somehow we're alive during the flu as babies, like the uh, 1918 pandemic, then, you know, this is a really challenging time for connection. But I will say that writing a book about fun in this context also was helpful to me because it really did help me better understand the importance of fun. And what fun is so that I ended up spending less time on fake fun than I think I otherwise might have. And then also importantly, I think this is potentially useful to people as we go into whatever phase we're going into of this situation. It really taught me of the need to prioritize fun. Sometimes it's going to take work to create human connection if you're in a situation where your social interactions are limited and we're all worried about getting each other sick. As an example, one of my main sources of fun is playing music with this particular group of friends. And you might think, well, how would you have done that? Especially I live in Philadelphia, especially last winter. But my friends and I made it happen. And the way we made it happen is that we got really heavy coats and we got a lot of hand warmers and I bought a heat lamp and we would get together outside down to like 30 something degrees in Philadelphia and we would just space ourselves out. We wore masks and we got together nearly every weekend and we played music for three to four hours at a time. And I could tell you that was essential for my mental health. And it's backed up by research. There's a, something called the broaden and build theory of positive emotion by this woman, Barbara Fredrickson at UNC, which is that experiencing positive emotions isn't just a sign of well-being. It actually boosts our well-being and helps us to endure and be resilient in future periods of stress. So all that is to say, I think that One of the benefits of fun and one of the ways it can help us now, even if things are challenging, is it helps us really identify what we should prioritize. And I would just encourage people that if you have identified a particular activity or particular people who make you feel joyfully alive, make it happen. Figure out a way to make it happen, even if it's not going to be in the full 
you know, we don't have all the freedom that we typically would have, but there are more opportunities than we might immediately recognize to experience fun. And we should prioritize it right now. Actually, we should always prioritize it, but we really should right now, um, even if it's challenging. Well, and that's why the phrase now more than ever makes sense in this instance, because we weren't prioritizing it already. So we already at prior pandemic state needed to be prioritizing it. And then it became so much more of a necessity to have that fun mindset added on as a filter to how we're looking at everything, but not just looking at everything, actually planning, like you said, to intentionally spend time with people, with activities, with ourselves even Mm -hmm. to incorporate fun into our lives. Yeah, you know, it brings up an interesting point. I think earlier in the pandemic, we kind of thought that all opportunities for fun were at least I did were off the table because we so often associate the idea of fun with doing something exotic or like traveling someplace new or doing something really unusual, you know, and and that obviously was not possible. So I think a lot of us thought, well, okay, we can't do that now. Totally off the table. I've just got to survive but it'll come back. And now we're at a stage where it's almost two years and it's like, well, hopefully that stuff is going to become easier. But right now, like, God, it's so depressing. But no, it's not like, oh, when are we getting back to normal life now? It's like, no, this is normal life right now. We don't know when it's going to go back to that previous version of normal life, but we got to cope with what we have right now. And that means we're going to have to think a little harder about how to thrive as much as we can, despite all the challenges of the current circumstances. And we need to figure out how to have fun in our current situations, you know, not just wait for that time when you can take that trip or you can get together with those friends in some exotic location. Like, what can you do today to have a bit more fun? Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've been lucky. I've gotten to go a couple of places because things, you know, in windows of time or with vaccinations yeah. or with masks, you know, all different precautions and things like that. I've been able to obviously not as much as I ever would have prior to the current situation, but I did get to go do those things. And as usual, like what would have happened prior to pandemic, had I gone on a trip to, you know, such and such, you look forward to the trip, you go do the trip. You come back from the trip and you wish you were still on the trip. You catch up on your emails and it's all this kind of, in other words, it's not an ongoing perspective or mindset. It's a Mm, thing uh to thing to thing. And then in the meantime, instead of thriving, I'm in survival mode. That's a very good point. We're like, okay, well, that's that was the fun time. Like that vacation, that was a fun time. And also, let's be honest, like most of us just spend our vacations checking work email and like posting things on Ugh. social media. So you're not really taking the break. But you're right. It's kind of we have this demarcation in our mind. Like that's the fun time. And now I'm back to normal life. And I would argue that whether there's a pandemic or not a pandemic, that is totally the wrong approach. We need to figure out how to have fun in our everyday lives. I talk about this in the book as the concept of micro doses of fun and then booster shots. That was a term I came up with before <laughs> booster shots. We're really thinking. But the idea is that essentially you always want to have something to look forward to on your calendar and they can be little things or it can be big things. And you also want to just find opportunities to microdose on fun throughout your day, which, you know, can be very small. Like if you're driving in the car and your favorite song comes on the radio and you take a second to turn it up and just belt along with your song and just be lost in the moment for those four minutes, that counts as a microdose of fun. You want to build as many of those into your day as possible. Or for example, the guitar class that I signed up for, I continued. We actually continued that over Zoom for all of last winter, which, by the way, if there are any musicians in your audience, you can't do music over Zoom. We just essentially watched our teacher play guitar and sing. It was so lame, but we did it because it was as close as we could get to our experience. But, you know, that's Wednesday night. And I know every Wednesday night I'm going to have this opportunity to play music with this particular group of people. And knowing that is on my schedule boosts my spirits during all the other days of the week, too. So I have an acronym in the book called SPARK. 
to help people put these things into practice and incorporate more fun into their lives. But the K in Spark is to keep at it. And that's exactly what you're getting at, is that you need to make this a priority on an ongoing basis, not just something you think of in terms of that weekend away or that one vacation. Fun needs to be part of our daily lives. Yes, it's it's integrated. It's it's permeated. It's a constant perspective and you know a lens that we're looking at everything through, experiencing everything through, but not just experiencing everything, but catalyzing experiences Mm -hmm. and and like you said intentionally micro dosing on fun yeah and i think the delight practice is a good way to do that it's just little tiny things you know that make you a friend was sharing with me the other day her most recent delight was just tiny snowmen where there's like not enough snow to really make an actual snowman and she was taking pictures of this (laughs) this like snowman that was like the size of a coffee cup and she was like delight and i was like yeah i was just walking home from the doctor the other day and there was this like very plump winter squirrel it clearly like just you know, just this funny little squirrel and it was sitting on its hind legs and it had this little, you know, it's with white fur on its belly and it had this very, you can't see it, I'm pretending to be a squirrel right now, but it had this funny pose and it was just staring at me. And I put a finger in the air and out loud was like, delight as I walked down a crowded street in Philadelphia, which makes me look like a crazy person, which itself is delightful. But just even little things like that, like the micro doses are so important. And then you can work in these bigger things. I also think there's an opportunity during the pandemic to just really reflect on what you miss the most? You know, what do you just wish you could do? Because I think we have a bit more clarity now about what we really miss and and just make it like almost literally make a note of that somewhere. Because when you do have the opportunity to travel more or whatever it may be, like you want to make sure to prioritize the right things because the rest of life is going to come rushing back in really quickly. But if you know ahead of time, no, this is what I really missed. I think that's that's very helpful to write down and make it happen in the future. Have that as a booster shot and something to look forward to, even if you don't know when you're going to be able to do it. Just know that, you know what? I am going to plan that trip with that group of friends because that sounds so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of noticing, I think that's another reason why, I mean, we keep going back to the other book too and and, uh, devices. It's that it robs us of us. uh, You know, we get so habitualized to picking up something and having it be what we notice versus looking around at our surroundings and that's one aspect of, you know, being trained out of noticing. But the other thing is, is that then we almost have a substitutiary delight, like, you know, <laughs> as we because, you know, with endorphins and things, we'll scroll like, ooh, there's a funny thing. And, I, you know, and going by if I had intentionally used the phone on purpose to, you know, say I'm scrolling Instagram and I'm looking at my friend's photos and one of them does something really funny. Great. If that's what I intended to do with that time, my attention mm-hmm. at that time. And so you can point your finger up and you can say delight when you see that. However, it's that we've kind of been lulled into, you know, the junk flow instead of delighting. Yeah, it's the passive nature of things. And I think also it's really important for all of us to internalize that our devices and the things we consume on our devices, they're engineered to get us to be passive because the more time we spend on them, the more money the companies behind them make. And that's a fine trade-off if you're aware of it and you're okay with it. But I don't think most people are waking up in the morning saying, you know, the the thing I want to do this morning is make money for Mark Zuckerberg. You know, like that's not really (laughs) most of our intentions. And it's also, if you ask people what their best moment of the day was, it's not going to be what they saw on Instagram. 
I actually had a really interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago. I was on this British show where I was supposed to debate. Playful knockabout is how these people described it. This very British um, about whether or not the Internet should be turned off. And was, obviously, that is a playful question because the world would collapse. But we had, a, we had the opportunity to ask one question to this expert witness, this technology expert. And my question was, uh, tell me a time in which you felt joyfully alive. And she had this long pause. And then she goes, does it have to be online? Because she was like drawing a blank. And I was like, oh, that question worked. And then she proceeded. I said, no, no, that's the whole point. Just when was the last time you remember feeling joyfully alive? Which I invite your listeners to do yeah. too. And her answer then was when I ran into the ocean barefoot with, you know, over the summer and felt the waves crash over me. And it was just like, there, there you go. Like that proves the point. Like the best moments of our lives are not going to be the ones where we were passively scrolling. No, no, not at all. Ugh. Man, you know, the one other thing I'm thinking about, and, and this has been something that's also been pandemic related, is is the workplace and the change that's happened there. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how this would look having a fun mindset inside of an organization, you know, a macro level. What does this look like to either implement in an organization or, or attempt to at least? Well, it's certainly not about just putting a ping pong table. No. In a, <laughs> I mean, that could be fun, but. <laughs> well, that could be part of it, but I don't, I mean, that's not the answer, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think the the biggest systemic change that needs to happen is from a business perspective is helping employees create better boundaries with devices and communication tools in particular, because right now we have no boundaries between work and home life. We didn't have great ones before the pandemic because of the ability to check our work email from our phones. But now, you know, we're a mess. And I think there needs to be a lot more thought on the part of leadership of how to create systems for communication that allow employees to take breaks without feeling anxious about missing something. So this might not seem directly related to fun, but I actually think it is because as we've been talking about, one of the fundamental components of fun is flow. And flow, as we've discussed, is a state of total engagement. That means anything that distracts you is going to pull you out of flow. You can't be distracted and in flow. And if you're not in flow, you can't have fun. So distractions get us out of having fun. Well, part of the problem we face right now is that we've been so conditioned to feel that we always have to check our phones in case of a so-called emergency that we just are constantly only half present in our lives. So we can't have fun. So one thing I really suggest is that employers and people, I mean, anyone talk with your teammates, but it's especially from a leadership perspective because you've got more control, is figure out what the communication should be. What is an emergency? And then how are you going to communicate that emergency? And it should not be over email. You know, it should be very clear about like what actually is urgent. And then it should be, I would propose phone calls or something that goes through a different medium so that employees don't feel that they have to be tethered to their phones at all hours of the day to check their work email in case of an emergency, if that makes any sense, because that's going to prevent them from having fun. And I think also just having conversations about the benefits of fun or encouraging, like setting actual rules about when people should be emailing each other and encouraging people to use schedule send, for example, like yes. maybe I can't resist writing an email at 10 p.m. back to you because it's on my mind and I need to get it off my mind. But if I send it to you, and then even if I say you don't need to look at this till tomorrow morning, if you see that now it's in your mind and I just ruined part of your evening. I made that mistake myself last night when I checked my email from my phone because I was waiting for an edit on a piece I'm working on. And it was in the middle of this outdoor hangout I was doing with some friends playing music. And I got this super annoying email and it really colored my experience that otherwise would have been purely joyful. It was a 
big mistake and totally against what I tell everyone else to do. And I learned my own lesson. But my point being that, you know, there are tools that can help us with this. There should be more, but there are tools. So schedule your emails to just send during working hours and then have this communication system for emergencies so that you actually have a culture where people are given time away from work. That's, I think, the really the most important first step. The next step is to have more personal reflection on, okay, what do you want to do with this newfound leisure time? Because in many cases, we have forgotten if we ever did know in the first place what we love to do. But I think from a workplace perspective, the first thing is helping people set better boundaries with their devices. Mm, Yeah, man, there's so much more in the book. Obviously, we're running low on time, but I want to make sure to direct people to where they can find out more about you and your newsletter as well as the book. And so what's the best place to do that? The best place to do that would be the book's website, which is howtohavefun.com and sign up for my newsletter. Also, please buy the book, but please sign up for my (laughs) newsletter because I hate social media. I do some stuff on social media. Feel free to follow me on social media, but I I don't like to prioritize that because I think it's a waste of everyone's life. And so I try to communicate through my newsletter and I send out suggestions for what I call screen life balance and suggestions for fun. I'm going to be doing a fun intervention challenge in February. If people would like to participate where we're going to try to devote February to having more fun. I've decided it's the least fun month of the year because it's so cold and dark and the spring so far away and the holidays are over. But yes, please go to howtohavefun.com. Perfect. I will link up to that in the show notes. And Catherine, it's been great talking with you. Obviously, the last book, as well as this one, kind of hint at a trajectory where you're continuing to think on these deep and practical thoughts. And as soon as you're ready to talk again, open invitation. Come on back. We'll talk some more. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed my conversation with you, and I would love to come back. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Catherine Price. I really enjoyed this book. I had fun talking about fun, and I hope you did too, at least listening to us talk about having fun. I really encourage you to grab this book. I think having a correct perspective and and adding in playfulness and connection and flow, these are all things that I think recently, as we talked in this conversation, you will notice were some of the things that fell by the wayside or were what we struggled with to get a handle on the lack of playfulness, the lack of connection, the lack of flow when it came to the pandemic and our connection with each other, to ourselves, to our work, to our hobbies, to our fun. And so I highly suggest grabbing this book. I'm going to go through it again. I don't say that every time, (laughs) but uh, and I won't call out which ones I wouldn't say that to, but it's really encouraging to me to see work like this happening, not just an approach, but a perspective on fun happening and being out there. So I just highly suggest you grab the book. You can find the link for that in the show notes for this episode also, as well as the link to share this. If you would do me the favor, if you had fun listening to this conversation, I'm betting somebody else you know might as well. Hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice, or again, in those show notes I mentioned, and share this episode with somebody. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next episode.
Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.